whatever happens in life, we will see your goodness. Uh, one day, somehow, uh, we will see your goodness. Uh, I pray that you to speak to us, uh, speak to our hearts, speak through Michael. Uh, just use him as your vessel this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Again, good morning. It's good to see uh, all of you this morning. Thank you for uh, choosing to come and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, choosing to come and worship and spend time together in God's Word. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, we need some uh, help in the Marble Good News Club. And what day of the week is that? Tuesday. I have a teacher. Need someone who can be a helper, someone to uh, take attendance, be with the kids, and Susie can add more. Susie is flexible. It could be possibly a day that someone, we could split in some flexibility. Okay. So if you have an interest, uh, contact Susie, and, uh, and she can give you more information and details and work out something there. Uh, out in the hallway, there is a sign-up, sh- two sign-up sheets. Well, no, there's one sign-up sheet. There'll be another one next week. Uh, help in the nursery. Uh, you can sign up for that. It's not always needed, but um, willing to volunteer once a month, once every two months, just to help out in the nursery. We would appreciate that. And then uh, there's a sign-up sheet also. We, instead of paying someone to clean the church once a month, the family kind of adopts the church and does a, a deep cleaning. There will be a new sign-up sheet out there next week, uh, and you can sign up for that. It will run through the beginning of the year. And then finally, uh, two weeks from the day, we will have a covered dish and a congregational meeting. And one of the things that I sent an email out, we are going to try to hone our mission statement a little bit. It's kind of long and gangly and wordy. Um, and as I sent an email out, I've been explaining that process on the website. You can go and read through that. And... Uh, Try to do that in smaller chunks so it's not this big, long treatise that you have to read through. But, you know, if you read just one little chunk a day, you'll get the idea of what we're about and what we're trying to do. So please go and take care, take uh, that opportunity. And I think that's all of the announcements. We are, uh, as I said, nearing the end of our time um, in Colossians. And uh, as I read a minute ago, Paul begins letter by praying, and he, he ends the main part of his letter by praying. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at uh, the very... I've decided I, I need to quit saying we're going to next week or in a couple of weeks, because it never quite turns out that way. I'll think there's a big passage that I can cover, and during the week, I realize there is no way we're going to talk about all of that. Um, so maybe in a couple of weeks, we will, we'll get to that long list of names and talk through that. Um, and then a couple other things we'll do between then and then sometime in October, we will head back to where we keep going back to, back to Genesis. Uh, we started you know, a couple of years ago, we did the life of Abraham. And then uh, the beginning of this year, we did the life of Jacob. And so starting in the fall, we will head back and finish up Genesis and talk about the life of Joseph. Um, as he uh, did things differently than his father or grandfather did, and we'll look at that. This morning we are in chapter 4, and again, uh, our title is Don't Think Outside the Box, the box being the gospel. Paul begins with that, 
how important it is that the gospel is our focus. That's what he prays for. And he's going to end with that as well. And everything in between is about that as well. That's what this book is about. Understanding, grasping, and living out the gospel of Christ. So this morning we are in chapter 4. And I know I had said last week we're going to go through 6. But we're going to stop at verse 4. So chapter 4 beginning in verse 2. through verse 4 and I hope to have a little bit of time of, of maybe some discussion here at the end. Some things I'd like to talk about. So... Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for uh, a chance to together and fellowship and look at it together. Pray that You'd use it to uh, empower us and encourage us, and that you would uh, remind us of of what you would have for us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, he begins by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. Um, that word means to be busily engaged with something, but that's different than being just busy with something. Uh, and part of that difference is wrapped around um, Attitude. We can be busy with something that we have to do. Some of us have, have jobs that you may not be necessarily devoted to, but it's what we do. We have to do it. We may spend a lot of time in it, but you might not call it a devotion. So just because you're busy with something doesn't mean you're devoted to it. Uh, being devoted to it is an attitude of, of something that I really... Um, I choose that over lots of other available options. Maybe that's a good word for devotion. Something that I choose over lots of other available options. And Paul says prayer should be something that we fit into that category. I'm devoted to it. I choose it over lots of other options. There's a couple of problems with that. That we, as Christians, especially North American Christians, who like things arranged just so, and we like our daytimers, and we like... We like lists and we like organization. Um, one is the issue of time. The question, well, how much time should I spend in prayer? Is there a set limit? Is there a, an amount? Is there so many minutes a day, so many hours a day, so many hours a week? Um, part of the problem with that is, is, as Americans, we sometimes make a distinction between what's sacred and what's secular. And we say, oh, oh, the sacred stuff is, is what's important and the secular stuff is not. And we, we separate those out. The problem is the Bible doesn't make that kind of distinction. Uh, the Bible says that all of life really should be sacred from changing diapers to paying bills to doing paperwork at your job to the way you relate to your family and your friends. All of life should be sacred the Bible does make a distinction, however, between things that are spiritual and things that are fleshly. Things that are selfless and things that are selfish. That's the distinction the Bible makes. And so we, we get in trouble when we start talking about how much time should I spend. Because if all of life is sacred, time is maybe not the best indicator of what I'm devoted to. Because there are things that we have to do. There are things that we're called to do. Some of us have a job that takes up so many hours. And if that's a sacred task, 
and I say I spend eight hours at my job, does that mean if I'm really devoted to prayer, I've got to spend eight hours in prayer? That's not, that's not what devotion means. See, looking at a time is difficult because it'd be easy for me to stand up and say, okay, we all need to spend two hours a day in prayer. Or is it three hours a day in prayer? Or is it 15 minutes? And when, and when someone else dictates to you the amount of time, then that tends to slide off that little slope towards legalism. Right? Because then what we're doing is not being devoted. We're checking our boxes. I've got my two hours in. I've got my 15 minutes in. I've got whatever. And so in, in, on one hand, time is a bad indicator of devotion. But on the other hand, time can be a good indicator of devotion if you're the one who's monitoring that. If you all did the experiment of, I'm going to take my week and I'm going to divide up into 15-minute blocks and I'm going to write down everything that I do, that might be a good exercise for you to do to see what you are devoted to, especially when it comes to those things that aren't required. I've, I've got to be at a job from... X number of hours to X number of hours, and I, I sleep from this time to this time. But what about all that other time that's a little nebulous? It might be healthy at times to take your day planner out and go, how do I spend my extra time? Where do all those minutes go in the day? What types of things am I devoted to as, as indicated by how much time I spend on them or with them? And that's an issue that ultimately is between you and God and maybe a, a dear friend that you bring along with you and say, would you help me examine the way I live my life? And so on the one hand, time is a bad indicator of what you're devoted to, but on the other hand, it can be a very good measuring stick to help you think about, how do I spend time? Ultimately, devotion is an attitude. What's important to me? And Paul says prayer should be important. So I'm not going to stand up here and give you an amount of time you should pray every day. But I am going to say, like Paul, you should be devoted to it. The other thing that we get in trouble with is, is when we ask the question, not how much, but just how. how. How do I pray? Well, I know a godly person who prays this way, and this is the, the formula he uses. Well, I know a godly person who prays this way. This is the formula he uses. Over the years, I've prayed lots of different ways. There was a, a season when I wrote out all of my prayers. There's been times that I've had lists, and I've gone through the list point by point by point by point. One of the things that I've been working on and struggling through since we've been here is, is before I begin any new task, regardless of what it is, to pray. That's hard. There's so many things that we just do, that I do automatically, that I don't think about. I've done that forever, that I don't pray about it. But it's been a, a process for me over the last two years to begin, as Paul says, pray without ceasing. What that looks like for me is, can I pray before I begin any task? The problem is, when we look at someone who we think is godly and say, I want to model how they pray, the issue really isn't, they're godly because of the way they pray. They're godly because they pray. So never think there's a, a set formula of the way that you're supposed to do it. 
question is, are you engaged? Are you spending time with God? Are you talking to Him? Whatever that looks like. And that may mean that you experiment with lots of different things. You may experiment with keeping a notebook and a list. It may mean that you spend time writing things out because you're like me and sometimes your mind, you're talking to God and then you're thinking about who knows what else. Oh, wait, I was talking to God. And then you're thinking about something else. Oh, wait, I was talking, right? It may help you to, to write things out, to focus. The issue is not how you do it. The issue is that you do it. Paul says, be devoted. Well, what if I'm not? What do I do if I'm not devoted? Well, uh, number one, I would say that don't wait until life gets easier. Don't wait until, well, well when I finish this, when this is over... When this season of life changes, then I'll start. If you're not devoted to prayer today, then my encouragement to you is today, go home and make a plan. Today. Yeah, but but this week's doesn't matter. Next week's also going to be like that. And the week after that's going to be like that. It's busy. Today, go home and make a plan. I know there's probably football games on TV you'd rather watch, but today... If you're not devoted to prayer, go home and make a plan today. And then, if you have someone who's close to you, tell them the plan. And say, would you call me in a week and see how I did? Because, you know, you have a plan and then life happens and you stumble and there's fits and starts and it, it takes a while to get into a habit. And I would encourage you to get into the habit of praying. But wait a minute. I thought... Prayer was supposed to be spontaneous. I mean, aren't we supposed to kind of just go with the Spirit? Yeah, you are. The problem with that, though, is is that we often ignore the Spirit, we often tune Him out, and we often allow other things to attract our attention that are a little more exciting, maybe. And so I would say it's very important for us to build into our lives the habit of praying. That doesn't mean you can't be spontaneous in your prayers, as I have been trying to work on for the last two years, to pray without ceasing. But if you don't start with a plan, if you don't start by building the habit of prayer into your life, well, spontaneity, as the definition implies, may or may not happen. But but if I make a plan, if if I make a list, won't that take the emotion out of it? Well, the other problem with the way we view prayer is we we think that prayer is supposed to be this emotional reaction with God, and that's really not what prayer is about. I think prayer is very emotional, and it certainly can be, but prayer doesn't require a certain emotion. We think, well, doesn't God want a contrite heart? Yeah, He does. Doesn't God want us to come into His presence joyfully? Yeah, He does. But... Do you think that if you can't muster up that emotion that there's a, a do not enter sign on the, on, the, on the door of heaven? If we think clearly, we know that can't be true. Because the only reason that we come into the presence of God is by the blood of Christ. It's not by some emotion that we gather up in ourselves. Okay, God, I'm, I'm contrite enough, let me in. No, you're not contrite enough. You don't really see the damage that sin does. None of us really ever do. 
The only way we really get into the presence of God is through the blood of His Son. That's the damage sin does. Right? When we understand that I really only come into God's presence because Christ gave me His righteousness by taking on the wrath that I deserved, that's when we're ultimately contrite enough and joyful enough to come into His presence. Right? That's why Jesus said, you pray in My name. That's not the, the little formula that we often put on the end of prayers in Jesus' name. That's in My authority. In, because of what I've done, you can come into the Father's presence. That's what Jesus means by praying in His name. You're praying in the authority that He gives you because He went to the cross for you. And so, no, you may not be emotionally where you'd like to be to come into God's presence, and that's why you need to develop a habit. See, this, this summer I was devoted to the fact that I wanted my garden to be weed-free. We've talked about that. And so I said, every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to go get rid of the weeds that are in there. And there are some mornings that I was really excited about that because I wanted to see what God had done while I slept with those plants. Because right? if, if those of you that grow plants, you know that they can change overnight. Things happen overnight. And there are some mornings that's exciting to go up and see what God was doing. And there are some mornings I didn't really want to. I had too many things to do. I don't want to go up there and it's dirty and it rained and it's going to be muddy and my shoes are going to get caked with mud and it's just going to be nasty. I don't want to do that. But I developed the habit. I'd gotten into the habit of doing that. And so I went up there morning after morning after morning. Some mornings I felt like it, some mornings I didn't. But the result was I didn't have to wade through weeds to pick vegetables. There weren't a lot of, there were less bugs crawling around to jump on me when I was trying to pull a tomato or a pepper from somewhere. But aren't habits dull? Well, no, I don't think so. How many of you are in the habit of eating every day? I don't know about you, but eating is never dull for me. I mean, I enjoy it. Every meal, it's like there's food has flavor, right? And it, it tastes good and it's enjoyable to sit down with family and, or friends and, and enjoy that meal. And, and I'm in the habit every morning of getting up and making a hot cup of tea. That's a habit. I, I just kind of do the same thing every morning. There's a routine I go through. It's the same. But I enjoy that. And so if we think, well, prayer is going to become dull if I get into a habit, well, maybe we need to think, it, think of it more along the lines of the fact that it really feeds us. It's nourishing and it, it's got a flavor to it and an aroma as we come into God's presence. Can we begin to think that it really is just as critical for us as food and drink? So how do we devote ourselves? We spend a lot of time in the first word of verse 2. Um, Paul gives us a couple of ways we devote ourselves to prayer. In the middle of verse 2, he says, keeping alert in it. Uh, it's the same word Jesus used when he was in the garden. He told the disciples to watch and pray, to keep alert and pray, to stay alert. Um, it's, it's the idea of persevering, but with the added thought of there's danger around so perseverance is just really really important it's not just persevere because it's the right thing to do persevere because you'll be happy later you've got to persevere because there's danger lurking and in the bible whenever that word is used it is usually associated with danger 
And there are three big categories in the New Testament. That word associated with temptation, like in the garden. It's associated with the devil. Keep watchful, Peter says. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And then it's associated with the coming judgment. Be watchful. Christ is returning and He's returning as judge. Are you persevering in the things that God has called you to do because judgment is coming? That's the idea of keeping alert. That's how we stay devoted is we have in our mind, if I stop praying, danger is lurking. If I don't get into the habit of being devoted to prayer, my life is in danger just like the apostles Walk was in danger. He said, pray that you don't end into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If we are not feeding our spirit with time with God, our flesh will make the wrong choice every single time. And so we stay alert. Into verse 2 he says, with an attitude of thanksgiving. The other way that we make sure that we're devoted to prayer is we remember that we're really not worthy to be in God's presence. He's holy. He's infinite. He's perfect. He's just. He's righteous. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. We're the exact opposite of all those things. We're sinful. We're finite. We're imperfect. We're unjust. We're limited in our knowledge and we're ignorant. And yet God has chosen to make a way for us to be in His presence in through the blood of His Son. He sacrificed so that we could be with Him. And so every time we come into His presence, it should be with an attitude of thanksgiving. That's how we stay devoted, is we remember from where God has brought us, stuck in the mire, and He grabbed us by the scruff of the neck, and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And we should be eternally thankful for that. And if we remember that, it helps us to be devoted in prayer because how would we not want to come into the presence of someone who is that loving and that generous and that kind? Finally, beginning in verse 3 and verse 4, Paul tells us what we should pray for. Uh, Praying at the same time for us as well. So, He's going to give a very specific thing to pray for, but it's not the only thing to pray for. Paul does that on a fairly regular basis. In the midst of your prayers, pray for this. So if you're ever unsure of what to pray for, if you're, if you're not sure how to get started, this is a great place to get started. And he asked them to pray for two things. And there really are, there are two sides of the same coin, and that coin is the gospel. It's the advancement of the gospel that he prays for at the beginning of the book. That the gospel would bear fruit in all the world. And he says, I want you to pray the same thing for me. And if Paul needs prayer that the gospel would advance, that great evangelist, probably we do too. So what are the two sides of that coin? Well, the first is, he says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. As you pray for one another, as you pray for yourself, God, if you don't make things possible, 
It's not going to be possible. Paul asks the Colossians to pray for an open door for ministry so that he'd have an opportunity to speak forth that mystery. That mystery is the the grand, wonderful, overarching plan of God from the beginning that looked toward the fulfillment of the redemption of mankind through the sacrifice of His Son. And only God can open up doors, and that is both situations, opportunities, divine appointments we call them, where He gives you uh, the avenue to someone's life. But God also is the only one who opens up the door of the heart. And I think both of those are implied here. That pray for opportunities for me, pray that the right guard will come along at the right time, and pray that his heart would be soft. That's one side of the coin. It's it's all about what God is doing. But in the midst of God's sovereignty, notice what Paul also prays. In verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Despite the fact that Paul is very confident that God is sovereign and God's the only one that changes hearts, he's the only one that opens doors, would you pray that I would communicate clearly? Would you pray that I would say the words as I ought to speak them? That's the other side of the coin. That's the, that's the tension that we see in the Bible. And, and part of the mystery is that God is sovereign, but He uses people. God changes hearts, but He uses people to do that. I've always thought it very strange, the story in Acts, when the angel appears to Cornelius. Cornelius, send for Peter. Well, the you think... Cornelius wouldn't believe the angel if he told him the gospel? Why did he give him that difficult task of sending to some other town this guy who really wanted nothing to do with Gentiles? And then while the people were on the way, he had to send a vision to Peter because Peter wouldn't have gone otherwise. And then Peter to make the journey all the way back. Wouldn't it have been simpler if the angel had just said, here's what you've got to believe, here's the facts. There's a lot more going on there than than just that. But God uses people, everyday, ordinary people, to share the gospel. Even though God's the one that changes the hearts, He uses you and I. And so Paul prays for both of those things. That God would open doors and that I would not trip over myself in explaining the gospel. That it would be clear that I'd say the things that I need to say. We're going to talk about what some of those things are next week. We're going to talk more specifically as we look at at verse 5 and 6. But if you don't know what to pray for people, that's a great place to start. You can read through the New Testament and find tons of other things to pray for people. Uh, Ephesians 1, second half of Ephesians 1, first half of Ephesians 3, the beginning of Colossians 1, just a few. If you're looking for how do I pray for someone, but... That's a great place to start. God, give people, give my brothers and sisters in Christ an opportunity to share the gospel and then give them the right words to say.